pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and ask that you would take this time and use it to honor and glorify your name. Use it to teach us and encourage us and challenge us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Bible study, one of the reasons I love the old hymns is they actually say something. Um, most of your new songs today, uh, if it's got more than one syllable in it, it just doesn't seem to fit in the song very well, or it just sounds like they're talking in, in many of the new songs, and yet those were some, uh, that song we just sang has always been a great reminder of that uh, Beautiful, beautiful message, beautiful melody, and sing praises to the Lord. Let's go to the book of Galatians. And uh, we are moving through the book of Galatians and just going to touch on a few things that uh, we uh, did not uh, thoroughly cover uh, last time we were together in this book. But... um, Then uh, pick up new in verse 11, but let's start uh, in verse uh, 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And so we're just finishing up here. The parallel passage is Acts chapter 15. And as we dealt with this the last time we were together, if you read any church history book or most commentaries, they love to term this the first church council at Jerusalem, uh, trying to make a connection between what happened here in the book of Galatians and the book of Acts. Uh, to what happened in Constantinople in 315 under the Emperor Constantine. Uh, Because if there isn't a connection there, and by the way, there isn't. Uh, If there isn't a connection there, then all of a sudden what we really have is Emperor Constantine starting a brand new unattached church that talks about Jesus. And if that's really what happened, and I would challenge you to study the facts and and realize that it did, then what we now call the Orthodox Church and later the Roman Catholic Church actually have no historical basis for claiming to be a Bible-based church. And this is why it's important as we go through the book of Acts, we'll talk about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And and you'll read in the history books, the church started on the day of Pentecost. Only problem is when you read in your Bible, it says, and there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Now we have, uh, uh, I know Jason works in the banking industry, you don't, Go into the bank and say, I'd like to make a deposit. The first question is, give us your bank account number and we'll make, well, I don't have a bank account. I just want to make a deposit. And uh, if you get a smart aleck teller, they'll say, now, if you just want to give us the money, that's fine. But if you ever want to get it back, uh, the best way to solve the problem is to open a bank account so that you can add to it. Is everybody together here? You can't add something to something that doesn't exist. It's got to be there first. Then you can add to it. And so, where did the church start? The church started in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, I will build 
my church. And so, what we have happening here in just a few sentences is the entire foundation of the Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and later Protestant, because they all trace their history back through the the same group of churches, they now have no foundation upon which to claim we are the true church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't start those churches. You see, what happened in Jerusalem was not a church council. Number one, no new doctrine was established. Every church council... You read the history, study them in the history books. I, I like talking about the Council of Chalcedon. I believe it was 550 A.D. In the city of Chalcedon, uh, all of the leaders of what was then, uh, what then would become known as what we call the Orthodox Church today. There was only one branch of it. There was no Roman Catholic Church. They didn't show up for another 500 years or so. And so we had all the leaders of the church, and they made a decision. You know what their decision was? That Jesus Christ is God the Son and the Son of God. In fact, the phrase they used is often translated this way, that Jesus is the very essence of God. He is the very God of gods. And guess what? That's true. But the point I like to bring up is they were arguing about who Jesus is and they finally came to the right conclusion and stifled all of the dissent in 550 A.D. That's 200 years after the time of Constantine, 225, 30 years How could it be Jesus' church if they're still arguing about who Jesus is? And, of course, the rejoinder is, but not everybody was arguing about who Jesus was. But it was a big enough dissension that it's recorded in the history books that they finally settled the argument. You see, you can't get around what they say about themselves. Everything they say about themselves condemns themselves. There was no new doctrine in Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 2 and, and Acts chapter 15. What they were doing was reaffirming what God had already taught them. You see, in Acts chapter 10, how many remember what happened in Acts chapter 10? Raise your hand. Okay. We have a man named Cornelius. And I've always liked to point out of the Italian band. Amen. Uh, The first Gentile uh, that trusted Jesus uh, was uh, of that Latin uh, Italian uh, origins. He was there in um, uh, the land of Israel. And he was a man... That believed in God. He prayed to God. But as a Gentile, the Jewish people weren't letting him into the temple as a Roman centurion. Uh, he had very few friends in the Jewish community, let me tell you. And so, as Cornelius was praying, what did God do? He sent Peter to him. But before he sent Peter, he gave Peter that vision of the animals coming down in in the sheet. And he said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And what did Peter say? Not so, Lord. That violates Scripture. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God ever violate His Word? No. So, we have an apparent contradiction because it was not permissible by the law of the Jews to eat anything unclean. 
But if we follow the teachings of Jesus, he says, wait a minute, the law was there to help you understand that there's a difference. You see, as we get through the passage, if we can ever, if I can ever get the introduction done and get into the Bible study, uh, we'll find out that this was the issue in the Galatian church. Does a believer have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? This was the argument that was going on as these people came down from the church of Jerusalem and they began teaching in the church of Antioch. They went back to the church of Jerusalem to deal with the problem, not because Peter and the apostles were there and they were in charge of the church, but because the troublemakers came from that church and how you deal with people who are causing problems is you go back to the church that sent them because they have the authority to deal with the problem. And so now these uh, they went to Jerusalem And let's go to Acts chapter 15 so we don't get so caught up in my talking that we forget about what really happened here. Acts chapter 15. And we're just going to start reading in verse 13. Or let's let's, uh, actually start in uh, verse 6. Let's just get the whole story here. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us." Now, here is where we have the speaking in tongues coming in and the reason why it happened. It happened on the day of Pentecost so that the Jewish people would see this miracle attached to the gospel of God and understand that only God could give people the ability to speak languages that they had never learned. In fact, in my library a little while ago, I was able to get some books that belonged to my great-grandfather. And these books were published just before the founding of the modern-day charismatic movement. Uh, There were no such thing as a tongue-speaking church that preached the gospel uh, before 1906. Not from the biblical record. Until that time, did, did we have churches actually claiming, and many of these people before the charismatic movement as we know it today came into being, were making some unbelievable claims. They had heard that this phenomena had been revisited at the Azusa Street meetings in San Francisco in 1906, And they were excited about this and hoping that this thing would spread. And they were making claims like, in just a few years, we'll be able to send missionaries anywhere in the world without having to send them to language school. Now, those books are out of print today. You know why? Because if anybody read them, they'd say, you guys are crazy. Nobody goes to the mission field where they speak another language that doesn't use an interpreter or have to take the work and the effort to learn the language themselves. No one speaks and communicates the gospel, nor has anyone since Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. That went on to verify the message of the apostles. It's what we call a sign gift. I've used the example from trigonometry many times. When you complete a proof, if you had a good trigonometry... How many of you took trigonometry in high school? 
Okay? If you had a good trigonometry teacher, they were not interested in the answer. They wanted to know how you got there. They wanted to see the proof. How many of you had such a cruel, vicious teacher as that? Okay? Uh, I only taught it for one year, but I was the meanest teacher they ever knew. And at the end of the year, they came up and said, Thank you, Mr. Montour. You actually taught us how to think this year. And and, uh, that's what it's all about. But once you've completed the proof, my friend, what purpose is there in reproving the proof? In fact, if you went back and reproved the proof, the only thing you would be doing would be adding confusion. And so that's why we have this attendant phenomena as recorded in the Bible, and we have not had it since, nor do we endorse it today, because it doesn't change or add proof to anything. It doesn't point me to the gospel. It points me to the person who is experiencing the attendant phenomena. It points my faith toward my experience and away from the Word of God. If you're going to have faith today, biblical faith, it's got to be in the words of God. Now, Peter and Paul, and Luke actually is writing uh, Acts chapter 15 for us, and he tells us, listen, as Peter's giving his testimony, he said, God chose me a good while ago, That means several years at least, maybe 10 or 12 at this point, uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And God saved them. In fact, he's going to reiterate this in verse 9. He says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. uh, Peter says, They got saved the same way we got saved, by believing on the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, period. And it's a big period, my friend. That's the difference between true religion and true faith and false religion and false faith. If you put anything between believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the period, you're in trouble. And people have often said over the years and questioned that, but what if you don't get baptized? Well, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Are you trusting in the water of the baptistry, or are you trusting in Jesus Christ? See, Jesus said he would save you. Well, then what's the importance of baptism? That's a physical seeing testimony of the work that Jesus did in your soul. It's public identification with Jesus and with his church. And so, Peter says, in verse 10, he now asks the question, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. And so, Peter says, listen, everybody... Jew or Gentile gets saved the same way. And verse 12, it says, And all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after that, they held their peace. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree, what? The words of the prophets. Where is James going for authority? He's going right back to the scriptures. And by the way, the only scriptures he had were the old, was what we call the Old Testament. They were living the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. And so he says, listen, the authority is in the Word of God. What we understand that God has given to us from Revelation agrees with the the Bible, with the Scriptures. 
And it says in verse uh, 19, I'm just trying to hurry here. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. He said this is what they need to stay away from. They need to stay away from pollutions of idols. Why? Because you cannot worship false gods and the true God at the same time. How far back does that principle go in the Bible? All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eve listened to the devil and brought sin into the world. Well, Adam helped, by the way. He was not deceived. He purposefully did what Eve did, knowing it was against God. And when God showed up, he tried to blame it on the woman, didn't he? And uh, you see, why, why does it say things strangled in blood? Because what did God tell Noah when they got off the ark? He said, you can eat meat, but you're not to eat the blood. Because that is to be poured out on the ground. That is to be poured out at the altar. That is the thing that God has chosen as the sacrifice for sins. Therefore, you don't eat of the blood. And there are many cultures that even to this day uh, make blood pudding and different kinds of things like that. And uh, as a Christian, we ought to stay away from those things. Because... The blood is something that God set aside. When you strangle an animal, guess what you do? And there are places uh, in the Orient today where they kill animals in such a way as to make sure that the blood stays in, in, in the meat. And, and uh, it's, it's really gross and sick, and I'll try not to give the details. Uh, but the Bible says that we need to stay away from that things. That's why even the Muslim people today, you'll see that halal meat and all of that thing. That's because when they kill the animal, they, they cut the veins and drain the blood out of the meat. Now, where did the Muslims get that idea? From the Bible. Because the Jewish people do the same thing. And by the way, when you bring your steak home from the store and there's a little bit of red juice at the bottom, that's not what it's talking about. Uh, it's talking about not draining the blood out of the animal when you kill it. And if you ever have done that or had it done, the meat doesn't even taste like meat. It just tastes like liver or something like that. It's, it's not a good thing. It's not even desired. And, and so, these were the things that they said. No blood, nothing strangled, uh, pollutions of idols, and from fornication. Let me ask you a time. Is there ever been a time when God said it was right to be immoral? No. There's never been a time when God said it was okay to worship false animals. I mean, false gods. And there's never been a time when God explained, as long as man was eating flesh, he didn't eat flesh before the ark, that God said, it's okay to eat the blood. And so these were not things from the law. All of these things predated the law. Now, this is something that we call dispensational understanding of the Scriptures, and that's a whole other topic and a very long and, and involved one, but... You can see and, and, and help uh, hope understand that what God is doing here is He is not contradicting the law, but He is using each step in His revelation. We call it progressive revelation. God did not give us everything at one moment to help us understand a little bit more about God. And so the whole point of this argument here is... You cannot 
draw closer to God by trying to keep the laws. We have people who worship on Saturday today. And they say, well, the the fourth commandment says, thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. And you want to profane it. You know what? I've never met a Sabbath worshiper today other than Jewish people who believe it's a sin to drive their car to church on Saturday. Now, the Bible clearly says, Thou shalt not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. You're kindling hundreds of fires every time your piston fires. There's a fire in there. And I remember getting in an argument with some Jewish guys one time. Not argument. They were discussing things and... and They said, well, preacher, you're a Baptist. What do you say about kindling the fire on the Sabbath day? I said, hey, the Bible means what it says. That means you shouldn't turn on the... They were talking about turning lights on because that's kindling a fire. And and I said, the Bible means what it says. You shouldn't flip the light switch on. He says, well, yeah, we never do. We have it on a timer. I said... Uh, Who set the timer? The electrician set the timer. Uh, Who told the electrician to set the timer? Well, the rabbi did. So who actually turns on the lights? The rabbi does. And breaks the Sabbath. You know why they break the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath was never meant to be a day of worship. Every day of your life is supposed to be a day of worship. Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. And every day in the life of the believer is supposed to be a day of rest. Trusting in Jesus, it is finished to save me. And so the life effort I now have, when we get to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, which I'm not sure we're going to do tonight, but we're going to try... You see, all of these things are connected, my friend. And the issue, let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. They did not come up with any new doctrine. What they did was reaffirmed what they already had. God had told Peter, go preach the gospel and don't doubt the message Don't worry about what you think is clean because there's no such thing as a soul that is unclean that God will not save. Which should take Calvinism right in the head, but people find a way to revive that foolishness. And so, we, we pick up our reading here. And people like to make a big deal of verse 8. I mean, verse 7. But contrarywise, when they saw the gospel, the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel. The circumcision was unto Peter. And they say, see, there's two gospels. And I've heard preacher, of preachers. I've never, praise God, had to listen to one of these things. Uh, a preacher preach about the gospel of the circumcision versus the gospel of the uncircumcision. Well, read the next verse. It says, For he wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, or the Jewish people. The same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, or the uncircumcision. You know what the gospel of the circumcision is? Is preaching the gospel to Jewish people. You know what the gospel of the uncircumcision is? Preaching the gospel to non-Jewish people, or the Gentiles. Ah, that's the only difference. That's what Scripture says. And if anybody tries to put anything else in there, you better watch out. Because there is no difference. Now, granted, you had a lot more to explain to a Gentile in order for them to get saved than you did to a Jewish person for them to get saved. Is everybody together on that? Because the Jewish people had the Scriptures and they were studying the Bible. All they had to do, uh, to use our modern day vernacular, was to plug Jesus in 
to the framework and the truth that they already understood. But the Gentiles had no knowledge of the sacrificial system. They didn't understand what was right and what was wrong. And so all of these things had to be taught. That's the difference. And so we move on, if we can. And he said that they, we should uh, remember... Oh, I'm sorry. They extended to us the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only that we should remember the poor. The same which I also was froward to do. And that word froward normally has a very negative connotation, meaning perverse or out of order. But Paul was just simply saying, I spent a great deal of my ministry, of my ministry to the Gentiles. You remember their first trip? They were taking up an offering for the Jewish people. And they had taken that to Jerusalem and had given it to them to help them. And and Paul would do that again. In fact, that would be the, the catalyst that would get him in trouble at the end of his third missionary journey was he was taking an offering to the Jewish people to help the poor. And uh, that's, uh, read uh, Acts chapter 20 and following, and you'll get the whole story there. So now we pick up in verse 11, and it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. I always like to just say here, Peter sure got treated like a pope, didn't he? I mean, people bowed down and just said, Peter, whatever you say is right, didn't it? No. Paul said, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Does that sound like, yes, sir, you're never wrong, sir. You, you are always right. No, no, he was, he was giving Peter what for, wherefore. As Brother Clayton might say, he was telling the cow, how the cow ate the cabbage. And I'm not sure uh, how that all works, but I know one thing is you don't want the cow eating the cabbage. You just don't. It's bad news. Uh, there's Paul rebuked Peter. Why did he do that? Because doctrine is not for accommodation. This is one of the biggest lies that is being propagated in quote-unquote Christianity Today. Uh, In fact, if you buy the magazine Christianity Today, it's full of it. it. It's one of the main trumpeters of this idea that we need to build bridges to the world in which we live. Uh, I get so sick when I meet quote-unquote youth directors and uh, they've got tattoos and little beards growing out of their face and, and they listen to all kinds of terrible worldly music and you say, what, what is the deal? I'm trying to relate to the youth. Well, you know something? I remember when I was a teenager, we had a youth director that had a little bit of that mentality. He was going to relate to us. And uh, usually it was him that sprained his ankle at the basketball games. And, and we, we laughed at him. It was ridiculous. How in the world can a 40-something-year-old man keep up with teenagers and, and compete with them? Uh, that's ridiculous. And by the way, your kids don't need friends. They need parents. There is a difference. I remember somebody joking with me, what are you going to do with those boys once they get big enough, bigger than you are? I said, by the time they get that big, by God's grace, they won't want to do bad things to me. And so far, it's been very good. 
said, do you really want to beat your dad arm wrestling? No, dad, it's not that important. Now, Joey and Jason, I'm still okay. But uh, the simple truth is, you don't get anywhere by relating. Trying to build a bridge. Doctrine is not for accommodation, my friend. Doctrine is not meant to make you comfortable. It's meant to make you uncomfortable. Doctrine is not given to us so that we can make friends. Doctrine is given to us so that we can separate from the world in a biblical pattern and prepare ourselves to serve God His way. And what Peter had done here in uh, Antioch was he had compromised in doctrine. And we'll read about that, and that's probably as far as we're going to get tonight. It says, Because he was to be blamed. Now, here's why he was to be blamed. Here's why Paul was stood him to the face. For before that certain came from James, this was the church of Jerusalem, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now, this was the center of the argument. It was what was going on in the church of Antioch, why Paul and Barnabas and Titus and others went from the church of Antioch to the church of Jerusalem. No new doctrine, no new instruction, just an affirmation of what God had already told them and the right hand of fellowship that they would be as effective as God could make them in reaching the Gentile world, and they would continue the work that God had called them to do toward the Jewish world. And so, Peter goes to Antioch after this whole thing is over, and he's there fellowshipping with the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers as if they were all in the same church. Doesn't that sound strangely biblical? And then all of a sudden, a group of Jewish believers came from Jerusalem. And Peter says, we don't want our doctrine to offend them. Now, that was wrong. Because doctrine cannot be changed not to offend people. Sometimes we, people will ask, well, Pastor, uh, isn't there any way to present the gospel where, where it doesn't make people angry and upset? Well, I mean, you have to be careful. Uh, the term I have coined over the years is we do not want to be unnecessarily offensive. But if you're going to get saved, you have to understand that you're a sinner, that all of your religion won't do you any good, and that you're on your way to hell. If you don't understand those things, you can't be saved. Is that pleasant? Should you be happy about those truths? Uh, I would say there's something wrong with you if you were. But the other thing you have to understand is that Jesus did everything so you can go to heaven. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what He has done. Everybody gets saved the same way. Sometimes Warren will visit our services, a Jewish man. Warren and I had hours and hours of conversation. And he said, one of the things that's keeping me from being saved, Pastor, is if I admit you're right, then I have to admit that all of my family that I know about is in hell. 
said, that's hard to do. I said, yes, Warren, it is. There's no way to make that easy. But you have to understand something. God's Word is true. And nothing else can change it. You see, doctrine does not move for you. You are supposed to be shaped and moved by doctrine. That's why it's so hard for some people is because, but Pastor, you don't understand. I've been a Christian all my life. No, you have not. You cannot. You cannot be a Christian until you're born again. Well, I understand that. That happened in my adult life, but do I have to throw away everything else? Uh, Wouldn't it be better if you did? You know what? You can go to the store and you can buy very expensive tennis shoes, running shoes for your little baby. And people do it all the time. Dumbest thing in the world. I'm sorry. If, if you buy $100 sneakers for your baby, more power to you. But they can't run. It's not going to do them one bit of good until they learn how to walk first. That, that comes a little later. All you're doing is becoming the victim of the marketers. Listen, when you get saved, you're a babe in Christ. You've got to start all over again. That's why it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, Peter didn't want to offend these other believers. Now, would Peter have offended them? If they'd paid any attention to what was going on in their church? Absolutely not. And if they had gotten offended, it should have been Peter saying, wait a minute, we just solved this problem in our church that we cannot ask the Gentile community to become Jewish, and your Jewishness, as we go through here, doesn't get you one step closer to God. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves you. Nothing else. That's it. Beginning conversation, end of conversation. And yet, even Barnabas was caught up in this thing. That tells us that this matter is not as simple as we might first believe. I mean, Barnabas was the man who discipled the Apostle Paul, was he not? Barnabas was the one that introduced Paul to the other apostles. Barnabas was the one that trained Paul. He was the leader. If you remember on their first missionary journey, it was always Barnabas and Saul, and then it became Barnabas and Paul. Then it became Paul and Barnabas. But even Barnabas allowed himself to do this. Now see, if you have to make accommodations for someone, remember someone said, well, uh, do you think you could pray without using Jesus' name? I said, no. I said, I, if, if you want me to pray, I, I'm going to pray. But I can't pray without using Jesus' name because that's what I believe. That's who uh, I'm praying to God the Father in Jesus' name, hopefully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you don't want that, well, then uh, I just won't pray. And 
long story short, he said, oh, I understand that. Well, no, he didn't, but he wasn't going to argue with me about it. And I wasn't going to argue with him. I'm not going to make a fake prayer. And, and you hear after 9-11, it was very in vogue. Oh, I prayed to the God of heaven and the God of Israel and the God of Allah and the God of this and the God of... That's blasphemy, my friend. There is only one God. And He is not moldable. He does not accommodate you. He does not change His doctrine. Doctrine does not change. It's truth given to us from God in His Word. Well, then why don't we not eat unclean animals? Well, very simply... As a Bible-believing Christian in the New Testament age, just as he told Peter not to worry about the unclean animals in the thing, what did he tell him to worry about? What happened right here? Unclean thoughts in his heart of judging other men as being lesser than he was. Or picking whom I'm going to please. Listen, if you have to pick who you're going to please, it better be God. Amen? And you need to understand that even Peter and Barnabas made a mistake here. You can too. I can too. And what we simply need to do is get our traditions and our thoughts out of the way that can hinder us and get right back to the Bible, nothing else. That way we can be simple and we can be the same on Sunday as we are on Monday, as we are on Tuesday, that our relationship with God does not have to change. It should not be something that you put on when you come to church. It ought to be real enough to be lived each and every day of your life. That's what a true, honest relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. Every once in a while, meet somebody, hey, you're still here. Yeah. And we miss you. We haven't seen you in a long time. Why don't you come back? Oh, well, preacher, you know. Well, yeah, I do know. But there's no excuse for what I know and what you're doing. Because we're doing the same thing now that we were doing all those years ago when you were coming. Because doctrine isn't meant to be used as an accommodation. It's meant to teach the truth about God. And Peter messed up. And Paul, if we would use our modern word, he blasted him. I mean, he stood him to the face. He embarrassed Peter in front of the entire church at Antioch. He called him out in a public meeting before everyone. And his question was simply this. Peter, you don't live like a Jew. Now, everybody in that church knew that was true because Peter was eating and fellowshipping with all of the Gentile believers until the people from Jerusalem came down. Peter couldn't say a word. He said, now, why are you asking the Gentiles to act like Jews when you, as a Jew, aren't even acting like a Jew? Ooh, that's pretty rough now, isn't it? Because, you see, the issue is faith in God. And if my faith is in God, can we go through this again? It just seems to be a theme. I didn't necessarily just pick the book of Galatians because I thought it would match what I've been preaching about faith on Sunday mornings, but... Faith is not this 
feely thing, erythral thing that I just reach out there and kind of bump into. Faith is objective. It's in the words. And if my faith has the same object as your faith, then it ought to produce the same thing in your life that it does in my life. There ought to be some characteristics of a Bible-believing church. And guess what? There are. They're traceable historically and in every other way. Our faith, our doctrine, ought to be based on the words of God. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would help us as we wade through these passages here. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity and the ability to communicate what is in these words in, in, in the Bible. And not my opinions, but your words. But Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the bigger picture. To understand that we cannot alter our doctrine to make people feel better or to accommodate anyone. That Peter was judged, and rightfully so, for having done this very thing. And even a man as spiritual as Barnabas was carried away with the disunity, the dissimulation in the church. So that Paul had to stand up and embarrass them before all the believers and get them to understand there's only one God, there's only one faith. Lord, I pray that you would work in our midst as we are so conditioned by our society and everybody around us that everybody is right and that cannot be true. Lord, that you would allow us to simply cling to that which is true in your word. That our doctrine in this church would be simple and biblical. Lord, that you would give us the same grace that you have had toward us and the same patience you have had toward us in our sins toward other people when they are misunderstanding. Give us patience to deal with people and help them understand the truths that are in your word. We ask you to work, that you will be honored and glorified. And Lord, that you would accept our faith and our service. Before we finish that prayer, we just have the piano play. If you need to spend a few moments, the altar's open.